Corinthians 12, if you want to know what I'm reading. 1 Corinthians 12. Um, on a couple of occasions in June, we looked at two of Paul's lists of gifts, one from Romans, one from Ephesians. And uh, thinking of ourselves as a body of Christ. And thinking of ourselves as not just a metaphor, but a reality. We are the body of Christ. One part suffers, everyone suffers with it. One part rejoices, every part rejoices with it. In exactly the same way as you have a toothache, then your whole body knows you have a toothache, doesn't it? Your whole body feels it. But in the same way, also, if you pass a test, then as it were, your whole body enjoys that, doesn't it? Not just your brain, as it were, but the feet as well. Dance for joy, because you passed a test. So we can do both. And um, we discovered in Romans 12 that bodies have characters. You have a character that you were born with. And the body of Christ has a character with many parts. And we made up of those parts. And we contribute that day by day to the ongoing ministry of the body of Christ here. When we looked at Ephesians, we saw that God has placed in the body gifted people in order to facilitate, to encourage the body to do the work that Jesus gives them to do. So the task of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers is to equip God's people for works of service so that the body may be built up. Their task is to encourage and strengthen and facilitate. But there's one more list. I mean, there's a couple more lists, but they, this one covers it like this. 1 Corinthians 12. Because when you think of Jesus, he wasn't just a carpenter. And by the way, he wasn't a fisherman. His characteristics, his skills were carpentry, not fishing. You may think of him as the omnicompetent God, but he couldn't fish. He could carpent. He could do carpentry and building and all that sort of stuff. So that was his contribution to his family and his village. But he also did works of wonder, didn't he? He was filled with the Spirit and did marvellous things. And this is what Paul is talking about here in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1 onwards. Now, about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray by, to dumb idols. Therefore I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in them all, in all of them, and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one, just as he determines. Then he goes on to explain, of course, a bit more about the body of Christ. So what we have in the New Testament are the Gospels, the book of Acts, and a lot of epistles, letters. Some are called epistles, some are called letters. They are slightly different. And then one book at the end, which is all a prophecy and a letter and an apocalyptic book too, the book of Revelation. But by and large, you've got Gospels, the book of Acts, 
and letters. And they helpfully fill up for us what it is to be a Christian. Jesus in the Gospels is shown to be the Son of God, the true human being. This is what life should be like, always should have been like. We should have been like him, as it were, if it hadn't been for sin. And he shows us the way to the Father. The book of Acts picks up that story and continues to show that those people who believe in Jesus live like he does. So the Acts is an account of, of what's going on. But in a sense, you need the letters because otherwise we'd see what was going on in the book of Acts, but we wouldn't understand why or how or the implications. And most of them are written by Paul and a couple of other people. And they write into the situations that they are addressing and explain what's going on. And Paul here is explaining to the Corinthian Christians all about spiritual gifts. They're obviously using spiritual gifts, but they're using them wrongly and unwisely and unkindly, it seems. So he's explaining. So this is helpful. And I just want to pick out one of the gifts for this morning so we can trace a little bit through it. There's one gift that appears in every single list of gifts wherever you find it in the New Testament. And it's prophet or prophecy. It happens in Romans 12, it comes there. It comes in Ephesians 4 as a prophet. It comes here in this list. At the end of this chapter, he gives another kind of sub-list variation, but it includes prophets. And also when Peter says, whether you speak or do anything by the Spirit, you do it to the glory of God. So he includes not the word prophecy, but the fact of speaking on behalf. It's a great line of continuity. God is a speaking God who has spoken and does speak and continues to speak into his world. So we are to be those kind of people who speak. Now when Peter, on the day of Pentecost, and all the other apostles and all the other folk with them are filled with the Spirit, Peter immediately experiences this gift. Because he suddenly has revelation from the Spirit that what Joel had spoken hundreds of years before was at that very moment being fulfilled. So when folk make funny accusations like these folk are drunk and why should they be drunk then let's listen to them. Paul says it's not, Peter says it's not about being drunk. Then he says this, was what, this is Acts 2. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And then he quotes Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And then he includes these words, and they will prophesy. Now those four words weren't in Joel's prophecy. They were what Moses had said many years before Joel had appeared on the scene. And someone had complained that those men over there in Moses' day are prophesying. Should we go and tell them to stop? And Moses says, no, no, don't tell them to stop. I wish that all God's people could prophesy. And that was the kind of explosion of longing that Moses gave way back. And Peter puts those two together. Very interesting, isn't it? He takes a comment from Moses and slips it in to Joel's prophecy because it fits exactly. God says, in the last days I will pour out my spirit on all people, not just kings, not just priests, not just prophets, but all my people, young, old, male, female, children, adults, everybody, 
and they will all prophesy. Makes you tingle, really, doesn't it? The Word of God. But we can have misunderstandings. So I thought, well, let's just look through the book of Acts briefly and see where this gift pops up before we look at one or two things in 1 Corinthians 14 about how it works. Let's see what sort of things we're looking at. Because Acts is just Luke telling us the story of the church and he includes some of the use of the gifts of the Spirit. In Acts 3, for example, Peter and John use the gifts of healing, don't they? They can't heal. It must be the Spirit giving them the gifts of healing to heal this man who's been at the gate for very many years hoping for money. So you have that gift. But the first time the gift of prophecy happens is in, in Acts 5. And uh, a man named Ananias, um, Luke tells us, together with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property, which is what a lot of them were doing at that time, because there were a lot of people who didn't have much money. And they were, some people were saying, well, I'll sell some property I've got, or land I've got, or something else I've got, and bring the money, give it to the apostles, and say, share that among everybody. Very generous thing to do. doesn't necessarily follow they were selling everything, but those who had more than they needed were selling it and sharing it around. A very generous act of fellowship. Well, Ananias and Sapphira did the same thing. Verse 2 tells us, With his wife's full knowledge, Ananias kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. As we go on, we'll discover that was perfectly okay. He could have sold his property for X amount, and brought to the disciples half X and say, this is some of the money I've got for property. Have it. That would have been perfectly okay. The problem was, he came to the apostles with only a portion of the money and said, this is all the money. He tried to appear better than he was. He was trying to impress stupid man. And it was stupid. It cost him his life. There's no problem. He could have given a fifth, a tenth, a hundredth, a thousandth part. It didn't make any difference. That would have been okay. But he said he gave it all. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? How did Peter know that? That's the gift of knowledge, which we just read about in 1 Corinthians 12. How would he know? Ananias isn't going to tell him, Sapphira isn't going to tell him, and nobody else knows. The only way he would know is if the Spirit told him. And the Spirit's telling Peter, this is not all the money. He's kept back some for himself. He's lying. And so Peter says, you're lying. Not just to me, you're lying to God himself. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold, and after it was sold wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You've not lied just to human beings, but to God. So when Ananias hears this, God strikes him dead, which is a bit of a surprise and a shock to everyone. This isn't Peter striking him dead, this is God striking him dead. Only God can take life, which is a bit of a shock to the system. But this is how serious God takes lying. Do not lie to one another. Bear false witness to one another. Oops, we rock back on our heels in our society, don't we? So they came, took his body, and buried him, because you did in those days, very quickly. I think they even do it in 24 hours now, because they don't leave bodies hanging around. They bury them very quickly. 
Well, clearly his wife doesn't know her husband's died and been buried, which seems a bit strange, but anyway, that's the case. Because about three hours later, his wife came in not knowing what had happened. And Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she says, that is the price. He just wants to find out, are you in agreement with him? Was this just Ananias or are you in cahoots with him? And she's in cahoots with him, unfortunately. Then Peter says to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. That could be a word of knowledge. It's more likely to be a word of prophecy, but we don't need to split hairs here. It doesn't matter, does it? Whether it's word of prophecy or word of knowledge. God has told him to speak this out because what happened to her husband will be what happens to her. Won't it? it makes a lot of sense. So he speaks out God's word of judgment over her. So my friends, when we talk about prophecy, we're not talking about thin prophecies that kind of you can hear and then put to one side. What we're talking about is important stuff. When God speaks to us, this is important stuff. I don't say that to intimidate us or to discourage us from seeking God for his word, but we're not talking about casual comments like Red Rum will win the derby or other nonsense like that. That's not what God's into. There's important stuff he wants to communicate. And this was a shock to the system that rocked the church back on its heels and helped them understand that when you join the church, you join a holy nation of people belonging to God. So you, you, grace draws you to let God change you. Go on to chapter 9, verse 17, and we have Paul's testimony of how he is changed and saved. And another more godly Ananias is used to proclaim God's word to Paul. So in Acts 9, the earlier part, we have the conversion experience as he meets the Lord. And then you have a discussion between Ananias and God as God tries to persuade Ananias to go and see Paul. An interesting dilemma because Ananias does not want to go and see him because this is the man who's come to drag Christians off for, well, torture and worse, probably. But nonetheless he goes. And in verse 17, then Ananias went to the house where Paul was and entered it. And placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now I think that's a little bit more than just a deduction here. He's deducing from what God said that this is what's going to happen. I think God has told him, this is the message I want you to bring. And we're getting a little bit of it. Luke doesn't tell us the whole message. I think there's probably more. But he's telling us this bit. He's passed on a message that changes the life of somebody. Paul's life from this point on will be completely changed. You get in the picture about what prophecy is? When we speak the word of God, this is God's word of life. Life-changing power. So as we seek God for these gifts, and we are told eagerly to seek them, let me encourage us to think. If God speaks into people's lives, he has a power to transform their lives completely. You never know who you're going to meet this week or who God may say, 
this is the person you need to go up to and see something about. Well, in Acts, in Acts 10, uh, you find Peter has had a wonderfully effective... Um, sorry, in, in chapter 8, beg your pardon, we're going backwards a little bit here. Philip has had a wonderfully effective uh, evangelistic campaign, and then the Spirit says to him, or the angel of the Lord says to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is 8.26. And he goes down there, and the Spirit says to him, verse 29, go to the chariot and stay near it. So there's a word of prophecy speaking into Philip's life. So he goes to a man who's travelling back from his worship time in Jerusalem, not really understanding what's happened. And Philip is instructed by the Spirit of God, the angel of God, God himself, to go and say something to this man that again changes his life. In chapter 11, we're talking about the growing church in Antioch in chapter 11. And verse 27 has this, During this time some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. Famines were devastating things. John and I were talking just beforehand about how in our society, because of the fact that the vast majority, well over, well over 90% of people live in large towns or cities and feel therefore disconnected from the arable year, the farming year. Most people don't know their food comes from fields, they know it comes from Tesco or Sainsbury's or anywhere else like that. And we can lose sight of these, what a famine, for us a famine would simply mean we have to buy some more stuff from another country instead of our own country. But for them this was devastating. And the Spirit has told Agabus to pass this knowledge on. There's something devastating happened, but not just for information's sake so they can say, oh we knew that would happen when it comes, which is not a lot of help really. The idea they're told is in order to do something about it, and the response is exactly right. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the believers living in Judea. So what you've got is a largely Gentile church in Antioch hearing about a largely Jewish church in Judea having trouble, and the largely Gentile group saying, well, we are brothers and sisters together. There is no more Gentile or Jew, male or female, bond and slave, all one in Christ Jesus. So how can we step into this and help them out? God is telling his people about important things that really matter in people's daily lives. Sometimes it's for one person. Sometimes it's for a whole group of people. Always looking for a response. In chapter 13 we're told before Paul and Barnabas go off on their missionary journeys that in the church in Antioch, there are prophets and teachers. We're told specifically there are people who speak out the word of God and those who teach it. When they have their discussions in chapter 15 about what it means to be a Christian, whether circumcision or non-circumcision has any part to play in that, big issues, they, just, they come to a conclusion and send a letter to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria and Cilicia to put their minds at rest, but they send it by the hands of, verse 32, Judas and Silas, 
who themselves were prophets who said much to encourage and strengthen the believers. They choose two of the prophets, two men who were prophets, to take this message of encouragement to the people, to settle them down and help them to understand what the gospel is really all about. In chapter 19, when Paul goes to Ephesus on a return journey, he finds some folk, and as they walk along the road, he notices something's profoundly missing in their lives. It's interesting to speculate how that must have happened, because the first thing he says to them is, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? I bet that's not the first question you ask Christians when you first meet them, but somehow Paul is a blunt guy, isn't he? But he spots something's missing, and they say, we don't even know there is a Holy Spirit. So then he has a bit of a discussion with them and teaches them about John's baptism and the baptism of Jesus. And then he baptizes them into the name of the Lord Jesus and places his hand on them. The Holy Spirit comes on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied as a kind of demonstration that they truly had been filled with the Spirit. God gave them two of the spiritual gifts and they off went and did other things. We could go on in chapter 21. We find that Philip has four daughters, unmarried daughters who are prophetesses. In chapter 21, Agus, the prophet, appears again and tells Paul what he can expect to face in Jerusalem. These are important things, my friends. Important things. Some of it may be for yourself, but the more likely thing is that you're given a word for somebody else or even a group of other people. And we, and we could think in larger terms too. We have many MPs in our parliament who are Christians. And they may have the opportunity to speak into scenarios where Theresa May is listening or other members of the government are listening. And it may be that God wants to them to speak words that will help these folk understand what they should do in these complicated scenarios. Because God cares about our nation. He wants our nation always to be in a place where people can come to him. And those MPs would just be ordinary members of ordinary churches. So let me encourage you to think in terms of seeking God for his gifts. So go back to 1 Corinthians 14 and just for a moment, let's flick through some thoughts here. The first thing to mention is that the gift of prophecy is open to anyone. Verse 1, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1. He's speaking to everyone. He says, follow the way of love, eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. In verse 1, in verse 5, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. Verse 31. For you can all prophesy in turn, so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. In verse 39. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy. Now, the truth of the matter is that some of you will be more able to do it than others, more open, that's perfectly okay, but Paul says there's nothing basically intrinsic about you that prevents you hearing from God. Nothing. Not because you're young or because you're old, because you're male or because you're female, because you're educated or didn't have much of an education. 
retired or working, it doesn't matter. We can all prophesy. So we're all open to it. And it's simply an understandable revelation from God which strengthens, encourages, comforts and instructs his people at a particular time. We're not rewriting scripture. The thing about Peter talking to Ananias and Sapphira is that that never had any relevance to anybody else he ever spoke to, did it? It was for Ananias and Sapphira at that moment in their lives and was irrelevant at any other point. It didn't apply to all Ananiases and it didn't apply to all Sapphiras. It was a specific word to a specific person or a group of people at a specific time of their lives. So here's the thought. As we think about prophesying, here's some thoughts for you. What we need to do is to submit ourselves to the Lordship of Christ. Chapter 12, 1 Corinthians 12. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be uninformed. You know that you were, when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to dumb idols. Therefore I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the same Holy Spirit. It's not saying just the words. Obviously anyone can say, Jesus be cursed and Jesus be Lord, just as words. But the impact behind it, that's what he's talking about. So the first thing we need to do is submit ourselves to the Lordship of Christ. When we seek these gifts, it's not as if God says, would you like some lovely, colourful toys to play with? Here they are play with them, unwrap them and enjoy yourselves and I'll take them back at the end of the evening and you can go and do other things and then off we go. It's not like that, is it? He gives his gifts to those whose lives are submitted to him. So we, where we know we're not submitted to the Lordship of Christ, we need to put ourselves in that place. In chapter 13, Paul says in verse 2, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. So my motivation is not only to be under the Lordship of Christ, it is to be in love with him. That my motivation is love, not self. I don't do this to gain prestige among other people, but in order that God's love might come through me to the others. So Ananias wasn't getting at Paul when he went to tell him things about God. It was the love of God flowing through Ananias that brought Paul to a new place in his life. So we must be motivated by love in all things. Chapter 14 tells us that we are eagerly to desire it. Verse 1, verse 5, verse 12, verse 39. Eagerly desire this gift. Have you ever spoke, spoken a word of prophecy? Have you ever thought about it? Did you ever want it? Paul says, we are eagerly to desire it. So if we don't desire it, we won't have it, will we? Or at least we don't have the possibility of having it. And the outcome, the proper outcome, is to build up the church. Verse 3, chapter 14, verse 3. Those who prophesy speak to people for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. 
In verse 32, he tells us that actually all the time we have a word of prophecy, it is under our own control. Verse 32, the spirits of prophets are subject to the control of the prophets. So in all things, there's a human bit about it, isn't there? So you have the picture, says Paul, of someone standing and giving, a, this is what I believe that God is saying, and then off they go. But inevitably, because they're a windy kind of person, they love their own sound of their own voice, they give the word of God, but also lots of other stuff too, and they don't know when to stop. So another person stands up and says, I also have a word from God, that one must sit down. He can't say, oh, but I haven't finished yet. He has to sit down, because Paul understands the tensions of being actually human beings handling the things of God. We must be accountable to one another, part of the body, not acting independently, always recognising that we have control over what we say. There's lots of other things I should say, but I couldn't, I'm not going to say it now. What I would like to do now, just for a couple of minutes, is just to reflect on what I've said. The important thing is, and what I've said is that God has important things to say. He has them to the world, to our nation, to our government, to people in high office, to us, to our neighbours, to communities. He has things he wants to share with people, important things. And one of the channels he uses is his own people and gives us gifts. So what I want in just a moment, you may want to close your eyes, let me suggest you just bring to mind some situation or some person that you are anticipating will happen or you will meet this week. I'm going to go and see Jim and Jenny if I get half a chance on Tuesday. We try, we're set up to go and visit them and I'll take your love with me. Lynn and I will go. I would love for God to give me a word for them that will not just solve all their problems, but just one of those words that will make them think, oh, God does know where we are and is involved. So that's what I'm going to be praying, because I've got that situation, that person, and I think, Lord, I'd just love, I would just love it if you had something that would communicate such comfort and grace into their lives. Do you have a situation you're facing, or do you have a person you're thinking about? Just for a few moments, what I want you to do is eagerly to desire the gift of prophecy. God may or may not give it to you, because the Spirit gives as he wills. Our task is to desire it. So as we come under your Lordship, Lord Jesus Christ, and remember that the Spirit is the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, we're coming in obedience with your word eagerly to desire this particular spiritual gift.
Father, we've been thinking about a person or a situation that in all probability we shall encounter this week. A situation in which it may well be really helpful for us to be able to pass on in love and in a loving way something from you. This is not to make us feel big, Lord, or to show off in any way. Lord, deliver us from that kind of attitude. But in love, to communicate something to somebody else that reassures them that you understand perfectly where they are. And they can continue to reach out to you in trusting Something that will lift up the downcast. Something that will strengthen the weak. Something that will guide the lost. Something from you, Lord. So, Father, into your hands we commit ourselves and this situation and leave it with you all the time eagerly desiring that we might be channels of your grace and blessing to another. In Jesus' name. Amen. Here's a thought. Communication is always different, different for most people, so it doesn't matter how I might hear God or how someone else hears God, 